0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Over the Top podcast. I honestly can't remember a season where there's already so much drama for just two weeks, but you know, here we are. It's actually, honestly, it's it's difficult to know where to start with this one. I mean, the drama in London or the uh, active dumpster fire. Someone should that you know, someone should really tell the fire department about that up in the northwest. But Justin, you're here to help me sort all that stuff out. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm great. You know, as I sit here and listen to your intro, I think what a great advertisement for the Premier League. Honestly, over these first two weeks, you have Leeds United, you know, buying a bunch of Americans. Uh, You have Chelsea with a new American owner going and making news, buying all sorts of players. Of course, they have a marquee American. You have United and what they're going through, Spurs on the ascendancy, and then, you know, this beautiful game that we had here on Sunday. I mean, my goodness, this managerial
0: uh, battle, if you will. The this beautiful game that was really, in many ways, not beautiful whatsoever. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, depends what a team little, you're a fan of. Right? It involved <laughs> a little bit of the uh, the dark arts, I guess you could say. Things got heated. Uh, you know, I always associate that with uh,
1: Jose Mourinho. That's probably unfair. Uh-huh. <laughs> With the dark arts in general? or <laughs> Yeah, the, whenever you say the dark arts and football, I associate Jose Mourinho. But I think we just have to jump in straight into to talk about this match. Chelsea 2, Spurs 2. And there are so many angles. We could talk about the match. We could talk about the goals. We could talk about the refereeing. But I feel like we got to ta- start with uh, Tuchel versus Conte.
0: Yeah, start at the very end. It, look, I guess first things first. If there was ever a game where the scoreline didn't tell the whole story, this is definitely it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, no, I think you got to start with the end. And I mean, God, there's, there's so much to pick apart about this game where I think maybe it makes sense to talk about Tuchel V Conte first, then the actual match itself, and then some pretty spicy referee decisions or non-decisions. And then I guess big picture, I, I, Maybe that makes sense, but uh, I'm just trying to talk myself through this because it's confusing. But, yeah, the managers, Antonio Conte, Tottenham, Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea, uh, have never had any beef before this ever. Um, We're acting like there was no beef in the press conference after the game, but, yeah, a lot happened somewhere in between. And uh, I guess for starters, let's just say as soon as the final whistle blew, which we'll get into what happened just before that uh, in a second. But as soon as the final whistle blew, this handshake, man, was Mm. just the handshake that shook the world. Uh, Thomas Tuchel deciding to grab Antonio Conte's hand or hold on to it because he wasn't happy that Conte apparently didn't look him in the eye when he shook his hand. That's yeah. bad manners. Mom always told me, you know. Yeah, you know those Italian men. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's like
1: that one. Uh, I'm making that reference because there was this one commentator last year It's said it, the South American temperament. Remember that? That was awful. Yeah, I do. Um, that. Uh, but no, I mean uh, Conte. I feel like tell me if I'm crazy, but like I feel like most managers when they lose or they're pissed off for whatever reason, don't look the other manager. in the eye. I actually noticed it in the West Ham when they lost to Nottingham Forest yeah. this week, David Moyes didn't shake uh, Cooper's hand. So I, I don't, know. I
0: remember was. Tuchel refusing to shake Sean Dyche's hand last season. So I, don't, I honestly don't really know what Tuchel's talking about, but of course, like oh, I yeah. had to like sit down and think like, I'm sure Tuchel's done this because I'm yeah. a prick, you know, <laughs> it's a fan, <Hotman, laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, as soon as Tuchel tries to get buck with Conte, I mean, you know Conte's character, and oh, he's not backing um, down from Conte, that. You know, there's just <laughs> a screaming match, and Tuchel's much taller, and his like bill of his hat <laughs> is like at Conte's forehead, and and honestly, like, and they both got red cards after the match from the ref, which we'll get to in a second. But um, honestly, I don't dislike seeing this. I don't dislike it there. I don't think there was any uh, aggression that really crossed the line. Sure, there's some like shit housery, but these are two managers fighting for their team. And honestly, I loved how after the game, Tuchel especially was like, oh, it's nothing. It's just between me and the manager and we don't have any issues. And, you know, Conte said the same. And I, I kind of love
1: that. Oh, you have to love it. I mean, not only you said just not disliking it. I think I love I mean any casual fan, let alone big fans like you and I, I mean, any casual watching that, it's so entertaining. I mean, just to not even just the entertainment of the fight aspect, which you I'm, I'll ask you who you'll take in a second in that fight, but just think about managers that give a shit. And want their teams to win, and they're so passionate about the game. And tact, you know, there's not only like this, you know, battle between the managers, but on the pitch as well. And we'll get into the tactics in a second, but I think brilliant tactics by both managers yeah. throughout this game. And so it's just refreshing after yeah. seeing some of the other primetime teams, which we'll get to that, like 100%. people or players or managers that just truly give a shit.
0: Yeah, 100%. And honestly, like, I'll talk about the game more in a second, but. This one, actually, as a Spurs fan, I'll say I think Tuchel won the, the tactical battle. I thought Tuchel was excellent on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he'll feel very unlucky, but it, <laughs> it wasn't <it's> just <laughs> it wasn't just, and that's like the understatement of the century. But it wasn't just his handshake, though. It all started with, uh, I think it started with Conte deciding to. I don't know if he actively was celebrating Spurs' first goal in Tuchel's face, or if he was celebrating someone behind, like some fans behind him. I honestly don't know, but it looked like he was getting all up in Tuchel's face. They both get yellow cards and they're not very happy, but people forget after Chelsea's second goal, Tuchel decides to get out of his touchline, which if we're going by the book, it's yellow card. People Did you see Conte's Instagram post after the game? <laughs> okay. The first time <laughs> when I've ever seen a manager throw shade on social media, on an Instagram story, but no, it was fun banter. Just he posted a picture of Tuchel running on the timeline and said something like, You're lucky I didn't see you because a trip would have been worth it, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. and, and then he posts some emojis where it's like laughing and you know, so it's it's joke. It's it's a ban- it's just banter. But um, yeah, they were heated all game, man. More than the I mean, the players on the pitch were heated, but at the end of the game, like the players were trying to just separate these two mm. managers were like frothing at the mouth. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it might just be me thinking about to my very remedial playing days, but you know, you see a manager get fired up and that kind of can change the tone of your team as well. You know, you're a little more fired up. You're, you know, I just saw it in a totally different sport in American baseball where the Mariners were tr- truly terrible. And their team got in a brawl with the Angels, and they went on like a twenty-one and three run after that. It's like some togetherness and brawl. I'm not saying Spurs are going to go on a twenty-one win win, right. you know, fifteen-game win streak because we know that won't happen. But you know, I, I think there's something that Conte knows what he's doing a little bit too, and yeah. raising the attitude and the atmosphere of the game. Yeah. So I just don't think it's all emotion, even though it appears to be.
0: Yeah. And can I just say? Red cards for both managers. I hate it. I hate it. it. it The Premier League should rescind that. And I I think Spurs fans have every right to be particularly like upset that Conte got a red card too. Because like, I don't care what anyone says. Tuchel is definitely the aggressor in that handshake. But I'm saying this is someone who actually liked. I like that. So I wish none of them got red cards. But anyway, should we get to the match? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a match. There's a match and crazy match, not necessarily
1: like, I don't know, the best match I've ever seen tactically or like on the field, but there's so many storylines from this. I think that you mentioned earlier that Chelsea were dominant or played really well and they truly were, especially that first half. I mean, they came out flying. Yep. holding the ball whenever spurs got the ball swarming them and spurs were i think in the first half like they were terrible in possession i agree honestly they couldn't do anything they couldn't find their playmakers etc uh first half corner from chelsea how about uh koulibaly that volley into on his, the
0: on his home debut no less
1: i mean that's looking like a You know, even though they spent, what, 40-odd million on Koulibaly, that's looking like a nice signing for them. I mean, he still has a few years left. I mean, Thiago Silva, he's old. He's, what, 36, 37. He's still putting in shifts for Chelsea. I mean, talk about a team that we're going to get to in a second. But they have a lot of leaders on this pitch and a lot of players that have been there and have been in situations and know how to handle themselves and can be calm and understand situational football. And I just thought they played really smart. And I
0: totally agree.
1: What and I'll get let you get some of this tactics, so I don't steal all of the thunder. But one of my favorite things that Tuchel did in Chelsea with their starting lineup is that he put Reece James, normally a right wing back, at right center back. And this is not unique; we've seen this in a few games before, where they swap Azpilicueta and Reece James to deal with some pacey some pacey mates. But not only did Reece James play, but Ruben Loftus Cheek played at right wing back which was mm-hmm. odd when I saw the team sheet I was like mm, maybe they're not playing a five in the back but they certainly did and Ruben Loftus-Cheek played almost in that Manchester City style right back where he got forward but almost inverted and really suffocated spurs especially in the first half
0: 100 I mean the center mids and and I I really rate Hoybjerg and Ben Secours not as like world class but I really like their as a center mid like I respect what they do but they couldn't get anything going I mean and it was all be and I would say I think some Spurs fans on social media saying like oh Spurs are shit this and that I think that's kind of an overstatement I don't think they were great I just think Chelsea's press specifically in the middle of the pitch was just like sublime they completely Mm. suffocated them and this is a team I, I think it was Jorginho and Conte and I thought Conte had an unbelievable game and it's really sad that he went down with a pretty mm-hmm. bad looking, uh, an- another like hammy injury, but I thought he was sublime, but Loftus cheek totally got up there in the middle of the pitch. And you're so right about, you know, like, I don't know if someone was man marking Kulisevsky, but Reese James was definitely on son. Son was invisible. Kulicevsky tried things, but like he was also being suffocated. So the Chelsea press was just like spot on. And, you know, we haven't seen Cucurella start a game yet for Chelsea.
1: I thought he showed so the quality that he had. Nothing glaring, but just the yeah. little touches and the movement that he has. That's going to be, I mean, a two-headed monster. I mean, he might start. I think he'll start over Ben Chilwell. I mean, but ben first, Chilwell will still get games too. So. First
0: goal was Cucurella to Kulabali. New signings uh, yeah. working like a trick, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, Chelsea and new signings seem to be synonymous over the years, but Spurs clawed their way
0: back, Kyle. They did somehow, even though, like, you know, the Chelsea's great Chelsea's great pressing and possession, like, um, definitely continued through the beginning of the second half, but there started to be this really interesting tactical battle that led to the rest of the goals for the rest of the game, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conte bringing on... Uh, Richarlison and Parasit, which he brought on Richarlison for I think Sessignon right and that was
1: early that was like 56th minute or something very so, early
0: so I, at the same time on the pitch Son Kane Richarlison Kulisevsky and Perisic, who's normally like a could be in a front three and that like really he didn't like- come on till the 80th minute though Perisic. oh that's that's true that's true yeah. so at the very end but um but for that while they basically had the four pure attackers and even though Chelsea were still totally dominating, I think just the fact that Richarlison he did the most for someone who didn't really do much in the game, if that makes sense, because his energy and pressing literally just forced the game like a little bit closer into Chelsea's half of the field, which is interesting. And um, it immediately raised the intensity, mm-hmm. but Spurs did find a way back through. Uh, well, we'll get through the record. We'll, we'll get there. But yeah, um, uh, Hojbjerg with a beautifully placed dagger in the mm-hmm. bottom bottom corner and meanwhile Spurs were looking very very vulnerable this whole time as they pushed higher which led to of course the second goal where they were wide open and Reese James just had all the day all, all the light in the world to basically like you know slot it where he wanted so it games
1: reese james very good in this game not only locking down sun for you know however long 80 minutes that the sun was in the game but also you know getting forward and providing that he provided like three minutes before this a oh, beautiful a ball to kai havertz, havertz that yeah. havertz put
0: wide but i mean he's a really good player man and he's only gonna get a little better too he's man in the match definitely and what he's 22 years old so i think he has a bit more to his game than trent but trent's Deliver- if you're talking like England world-class right wing backs, like Trent's delivery is just next level. But we saw Reese James with that chance for Havertz. He's definitely got it in the bag. But, um yeah, so we're at, what, 2-1 with uh Chelsea at 80 minutes. Chelsea fully deserving it. But Spurs bring on Perisic, new set-piece taker uh-huh. on corner kicks. First one he takes with his right foot. And then the next two, he takes is his left foot. Isn't that insane?
1: By the way, like me, left foot inept, <laughs> like taking corners consistent with my, like I could. It's like, wild! It's lucky if I can get a good cross in with my left yep. foot alone. And, That's and just both, impressive.
0: I and I don't think his first one was great, but he also took a set piece of his right foot, which was also a dime. But his two with the left foot were fantastic, and one of which was in like the 96th minute, one minute left of stoppage time, and it was on such a plate, it was it, it was. Basically on a plate for like three attackers to finish it and just scenes, you know, some will say Spurs celebrated like it was a winner because it, it felt like a winner, let's be honest. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know.
1: I mean, we know Spurs' record at Stanford Bridge, like one win in the last thirty five games or something, and that's not an exaggeration. That's in all yeah. competitions. And, and the last
0: win was twenty eighteen, I think. And before that, it was like you dig Man. back into the eighties or something, seriously.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a great result for Spurs at the end of the day. I mean, you take a, a draw at Stanford bridge and we said all the, you know, all along that Chelsea looked like the better team. They were really good in the midfield, all this stuff, but this is a game that Spurs lose most years. And without Conte, it's a mentality. They didn't give up. They pressed. Conte switched his tactics, you know, loosened the, the strangulation that Chelsea had on them. And that opened the door for more opportunities Um, and actually this is the most surprising stat of the game. If you look at, look at everything, XG wasn't that far off and Spurs had more shots on target than Chelsea. And then you can say Chelsea definitely had the better chances because they did, they missed some sitters, not sitters, but they missed some good
0: chances, but that's what was so weird about this game. Like, you know, look, no one will doubt Chelsea totally dominated this game. Like I was so impressed with Chelsea, but they didn't cause Spurs, as many issues as their possession warranted, you know what I mean? Because like they pretty much had five chances, and I know that's like not a small amount. But Yoris made one save. They scored two goals. Havertz really missed that sitter. Like, let's be honest, should have put it on target. For Havertz sure. missed yeah. a sitter. Kane missed a sitter. And then I think uh, Sterling also. Sterling had a, great had a chance. really good chance. Yes. And then there was another one in the first half before actually no yeah that was it yeah of they're like really good opportunities so it kind of is reflected in the xg but let's not get it twisted dude i mean like spurs hardly were in the game they were better for like 5 or maybe 10 minutes of the game if that but um spurs were able to go back into their sort of counterattacking way so um if anything this showed spurs still have a lot a long way to go to like reach the level of the top 3 but I saw a ton of character. This is my least favorite ground to go to. I hate going to Chelsea. They just have our number. They're a bogeyman team. And I'll take a draw all day at Sanford Bridge. This is one of the most difficult games on the entire calendar. So I'll take it. Absolutely, you take
1: it. I mean, it's a great result for any team to go into Stanford Bridge and get a draw. And, you know, even if you don't play your best and you get a result, that's that's character defining. And then Spurs will take something from this and be motivated. So it's great for them. You know, the match, the managers, that wasn't the only headline. Those, were, those weren't the only headlines from this match. And unfortunately, the referee made his way into the headlines, Kyle. Um, God. Yeah. We have two major, and there's a two parts in this first one, but two major yeah. decisions, yep. or non-decisions, as you alluded to. That he made both on Spurs goals, <laughs> coincidentally.
0: Yeah, I lucked out this time. Uh,
1: on Spurs' first goal, there was a foul. I think core on Kai Havertz, um, where he kind of slid from behind. It's questionable if he got the ball first or not, but watching that in live time, I would say ninety-eight percent of people thought that <laughs> yeah. was a
0: foul. <laughs> Bentancur himself. Bentencore thought it was a foul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. But I will say, a couple of minutes go by between that and the ball hitting the back of the net for Hoiberg. So, in my opinion, from this, this foul alone, going um, and disallowing Hoiberg's goal is too much of time, even though I agree that it is a foul. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There was
1: the other part of this one was that Richarlison was in an offside position when Hoiberg struck the shot and it beat uh, Mendy. And while I think Richarlison was close to the fly of the ball in the angles that I've seen, I don't think he impeded Mendy and he was far enough away from the goal where I don't think it impeded. So I don't have any problems with the school. My biggest problem was Jorginho trying to do like this juggling in the box instead of just clearing (laughs) it. (laughs) I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I maybe it's because I have a vendetta against the offside when you're in the, fly to the, in, in the goalkeepers line of sight. I I hate that rule. It's so stupid unless it's egregious. I, I think pulling goals back for that is incredibly harsh, but I'm not a goalkeeper. So I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, I, so I have no issues with that, but I I uh, I'm with you, man. I definitely thought Benson fouled Havertz at the very beginning and it should have been called a foul right there at the beginning. Um, But what's weird about it is, as time has gone on and as people have watched the highlights, I feel like there are more people that are becoming like, well, he did kind of get the ball and it did, but, and, and I'm like somewhere on that level, but he also takes the man out while getting the ball, but he does get the ball. But honestly, when that happens, just in the league, nine times out of 10, it's called a foul. So I accept that like, and I still think it probably should have been a foul. The second one though, Mm -hmm. This one's really interesting because this in the 95th minute on, I don't know if it was during the play or after the play, but we're in the 95th minute before Spurs uh, score the equalizing goal. And there's a corner kick. And again, I don't remember when it happened, but Christian Romero, the skull crusher, the master of the dark arts, Tottenham's new shithouser. um, just was, you know, looking for things to do and havoc he could wreak and saw Goldilocks, Mr. Uh, Mark cucarello with his beautiful flowing locks uh, just was an easy target and uh, goes up behind his back and yanks his hair down, which, let's be honest, I, I think that's a red card offense. Justin, I don't know about you. I mean, I know you're not, like, really harming someone, but there's, like, a sportsmanship and, like, a uh, – I don't know. I mean, maybe it's weird because there's not actually any rules about whether or not that's a red card because we haven't had to decide before. But to me, that's a red card offense, but I, I don't think it happened during the play. So I think Spurs' second corner to score the goal would go on anyway, but I actually don't remember when so it the happened. Sequ-
1: yeah. So the sequence was Spurs had two corners, right? There was the first one that Davies, I think it was Davies, that forced Mendy to save it. And then yeah, they Curry's retook. Safe. Yep. Yep. Um, so it was, on the- it was on the first corner. When Davies headed it. And so, man, I, I, I think I think it was before the play. One. I think it was before the play, so they would have taken the corner anyway. But, yeah, for yeah. me, Kyle, it's a red card. Um, I think Agreed. the Premier League actually used a hair-pulling example for, like, egregious and violent play. I forget the rule they call it. It's not specifically, like, a hair yeah. rule, but, like, mm-hmm. they use that for, like, egregious and violent play or whatever they call it. And so... Yeah,
0: it looked. It looked didn't look accidental
1: for sure. No,
0: and and it's a weird one because uh, I think the Premier League can only retroactively punish someone if it wasn't reviewed by VAR. This was reviewed by VAR, so I actually don't think Romero's going to be punished, which is kind of insane to me. I don't understand. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was too. Yeah, Mike Dean,
1: the fourth or the VAR ref, I think, or was he fourth official? He might have been fourth official. I thought
0: Romero was going to be tossed. I was so sure of it. Yeah. And guess what? He didn't. This is the craziest stat of the game. Maybe Christian Romero caused zero fouls all game. <laughs> Official. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it just hates. It, it, you know, it sucks. There's definitely some wrong calls in this game. Um, it sucks that when the referee puts himself in this position where they're called, the, you know, you know, they're Spurs fans or whatever. Yeah. You know, the banter is, but. It was some bad refereeing, but at the end of the day, you know Chelsea looked great. Spurs showed resilience, and I think both these teams will be up there in the table, very close together. And for those third, fourth, maybe fifth, if Arsenal keeps going, spots. We've been avoiding it for a while. Do we? Do we? Do we go on?
0: I maybe mean, we got. To, I mean, we spent twenty minutes on the on Spurs Chelsea. Well, it was the best and, and it's, It was the best game. Hopefully, we don't spend twenty minutes on this sad, sad story. Uh, Brentford going to Manchester United. Oh, sorry, it was at, it was Brentford. at the community stadium. Yeah. Um, you know we're we're a positive podcast here, Justin. We we like to we like to advertise the Premier League as like a a, a great and beautiful and chaotic uh thing. Mm. So we we got to give credit where credit is due first to Brentford Football Club. Um, you know they hosted a little team called Manchester United. Tiny team, yeah. And Justin, it was 4-0 at halftime. Brentford, in Brentford's favor. Manchester United, just absolutely embarrassing. Brentford just played them completely off the park. Brentford's largest top flight win since 1938, Justin. I mean, it was a historic day. It was a shocking morning. I mean, I I think both of us were just, I know we were messing each other, but I was just in complete shock. No matter how much enjoyment I get out of watching United, like just completely, you know, shit the bed like this. I couldn't believe it.
1: I couldn't believe it either. I mean, I was thinking, yeah, United might suck. They they'll just get a draw out of this game or something, at one point out of two games. But no, I mean, after playing Brighton and Brentford, two like pretty mid-tabley teams. First one at home, getting kind of shellacked by Brighton, well organized side, and even better organized this time against Brentford. I mean, let's talk about just the togetherness of Brentford. First, I mean, the pressing was suffocating. Yep, they clearly had a game plan to target, you know, Christian Erickson in the deep line playmaker role, David de Gea to pressure him to make bad mistakes, and that whole back line was just under siege um the effort i feel like they were the first to all of the 50 50 balls especially in the first half oh yeah alone i mean everywhere ben me's goal for the third goal i mean first one to it getting his head on it i mean just
0: oh uh, who's brentford's right back he was like beating rashford to the ball all the time um yeah it's a new young scottish guy who looks really good, by the way, Hickey, I think is his name. Yes, I think you're right. He looked pretty good in this game,
1: mm-hmm. too. And then uh, Rico Henry on the other side looked yeah. good as well. And so just all the players, how organized they were with that back five. I mean, they couldn't find any room to move to to maneuver. Yeah. Ronaldo just felt like he was on an island the entire game because he didn't get the ball. Mm-hmm. I thought Bruno was terrible. Yeah, um, I'm talking about
0: United. Um, it's hard not to. Let's just be honest. It's hard. Fourth
1: to... attack. I want to say the fourth goal. I mean, it was already 3 0 at this point, and United were pushing numbers forward. But how calmly that defender took the ball and just launched it forward to Tony. Yeah. And Tony getting on and playing a first time ball to Mabuemo for a beautiful ball in stride. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Luke Shaw chasing after him, trying oh to decide whether dude. to pull him down for a red card or not. But, you know, calm goal. Uh, and then the midfield of Brentford really impressed me, just totally outclassing the United yeah. midfield of Jensen, Norgard and De Silva. I mean, Josh De Silva getting his first start in a while. I mean, he's quality, dude. I mean, he he's is. getting that silky. And even though that goalie was sh- that goal was shit. Cause it went off David De Gea. I mean, I think it's just the opportunities that he's creating the, the space he's finding himself in and that, that first game against Leicester, Sported that beautiful goal. goal. Yeah. yeah. So this is a good midfield with Damsgaard coming in, the young Danish guy. You you might remember him from the the Euro, scoring a beautiful uh, free kick against England in
0: the semifinal. Yeah. Came in for Eriksen after his heart attack. Yeah. So like and replacing Eriksen, all the Danish so. intrigue. Yeah, with the United, Ericsson Brentford connections is all. It's all weird. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, full credit to them, man. And the stadium was like, you erupting. know, erupting if there's ever any doubt about Brentford supporters and like, Oh, they're kind of, I know they're an old club, but they're kind of a new club with the way they ran. I don't know how well followed they are. Uh, that stadium was out and oh. it's kind of, it's kind of odd. Cause there are like skyscrapers in the background, like in West London, like posh residential buildings and stuff, but definitely has a unique vibe. And I hope Brentford's here to stay in Premier League.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was going to say one last thing I forgot. No, not
0: important. <sighs> Yeah, we we have to bring the energy of the pod down a little bit for this. Down four notches. Oh, man. Manchester. You know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like
1: we said it a lot of it. I mean, it's the same shit, different day, but worse, right? Just a lot worse. I mean, I can't think of any positives, honestly. No, none. United. I thought the the tactics were off, and we can talk about Ten Hag, but I, I don't think that was the biggest problem, not going in order of importance. No. I thought there was no service. I thought the players lacked energy and will and desire, and I just think United—it used to mean something to play for Manchester United. You like to put on the United shirt, well, not that green one because it's awful. Oh my but god! But the Manchester what a debut. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I mean, blending in with the turf. Maybe that's the problem. No, I mean. I, I could rag on everyone. Rashford, where the hell was he? I mean, he's awful. He was awful in these first two games. I don't think he did yeah. anything right. Yeah. Bruno, I mean, where is where's
0: the where's the penalty merchant? Nowhere to be found. Yeah, completely uh, fluffed a chance at the beginning too. He had a great opportunity, and just blasted it over. I mean, ah. Jaden Sancho. I mean, you and I are. He did about a this couple before. things,
1: but he's pretty invisible too. We're yeah. talking
0: about this before the pod. Is like, you know, I mean, I predicted him to have a breakout season for Manchester United, and as a Dortmund fan, Justin, it might be, it must be weird watching him play these Houdini acts where he just disappears. It's very odd, and yeah, I mean, the the defense, man. I mean, oof, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually think maybe Dallow has the least blame to hold. I thought particularly Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire, I thought were just like embarrassing. Um, and I know, yeah. I know Bretford's fourth goal was really nice, but both of them, what they did on that, like why is Harry Maguire leaving that much space for Tony? And he just like, he's so high. He's not even paying attention to what's behind him. And then, Luke Shaw also is just like so slow or so hesitant and just makes a joke of an effort to kind of stop. It wasn't really much effort to stop in Bueno, I think it was. And then, you know, on top of that, Lissandro Martinez, big money center back. Um, he looked really, he didn't have a chance at that header at the third goal. And I mean, De Gea oh. is, is not uh very commanding of his box anyway, but like, Sandra Martinez just got bodied for that. And all these fears of like, can a short center back doing the Premier League, blah, 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 which as a short guy kind of take personal offense to. And I'm like, you know, Fabio Cannavaro was a yeah. Ballon d'Or winner. Let's not forget. Yeah. And he was short, but yeah, it wasn't a good look. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say after two games, you could blame all the new players or blame 10 hog. But like, man, watching this start for 10 hog and this team There's ever an example of why decision making from the very top of a club matters. This is your example. I mean, Mm -hmm. United's leadership and just the constant infighting, even over like, you know, it seems like Ten Hog wants to get rid of Ronaldo, but I've read today that the Glazers, the owners, really want to keep Ronaldo because he has all that. Jersey revenue and shit, and like I think he's becoming a really bad influence for the team. I know you and I kind of disagree on that. Let's talk about that. Problem. Let's talk about that
1: for a second, though. I mean, so you go
0: ahead. You think he, why is he a problem? I, I well, I, I want to be very clear. I don't think he is the problem, and I think it's embarrassing that people were blaming United's pad form on Ronaldo last year. He saved their bacon, like he saved their ass, mm-hmm. and I think Ronaldo like his mentality is next level. I have zero doubts about how hard he tries, zero doubts about the quality, zero. But this is, you know, McGuire is a captain, but he does not act like a captain, period. And with the new Manchester United, new manager, you need leaders on that team. And there's only one leader in this whole squad. And it's Cristiano Ronaldo. And his I'm sorry, man, but his body language has just been horrible beyond the interviews in the press that he wants to leave and he reiterated it after this game. But, like, his body language on the pitch, his reaction to ever being subbed or not starting the first game, it's just, it's terrible. And I guess I'm just really surprised Ronaldo's doing this and, like, disappointed in a way. And, I'm even more surprised that a lot of United fans and the media, you name it, are giving him, in my opinion, a total pass. I basically, it's not his fault, but I think he definitely has some blame to share. My take on it is that he
1: asked for a move and he saw this shitstorm coming. Honestly, the lack of signings, the lack of ambition from the United board. And I've read the opposite, that Ten Hag wants him to stay, um, but he wants to leave nothing about that. i haven't read the board revenue i mean i don't doubt it because i mean united's board is essentially all, yeah, about, all about top money. line revenue yeah. um not necessarily net profit because winning kind of a trophy, you know winning helps with that but i mean i don't know when you when you give when you see that team and you have a scott mctominay coming on at halftime and you see a fred starting and you see harry maguire as your captain and you've asked for a leave and the club are resistant to do so i think it's hard for a player to come in and give his all and to be fair to ronaldo still after two nil this game he was clapping doing like the the let's go like the circles with his hands like come on get going but when you see some of the shit form from the midfields and the defense i think it's a little hard and yes he totally could have been more positive in this game for sure but I, I have him way down the list of players or manager or uh, I should I should retract manager front office. Yeah. Um, where I place the blame on because I think there's a few players I would even have above Ronaldo. And oh, then, no doubt. Especially the I front agree. office. Yeah. Um, is he getting a little bit of pass? I don't know. I've read a lot of anti Ronaldo sentiment on my feed. And a lot of which is like gone way too far. And I agree with that. And I think it, I, honestly, I think that's coming from other players. They don't like playing with him. Uh, I could see like a Rashford or a, I don't know, you name it, midfielder. Yeah. I don't think Bruno, because, you know, that right. jeopardizes World Cup chances. I mean, McGuire,
0: too, is captain. McGuire, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, a weird, shit show. It's, it's, it's a shit it's show. It's a weird
0: one. I just think as a new manager, when this club, this historic club, is in such a difficult position, for a player who's a club legend and who's played there before and is loved like universally by the fan base for him to do this, just, I mean, I I assume he realizes that this is just causing like such a massive, massive headache for the new manager. And I don't know. I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've seen players do this before and like my team (laughs) clearly is not, uh, free from this sort of shit. Uh, with last year, see the Harry Kane situation. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. At some point, like Kane put his head down and started working, and like I mean, we're only two games in, but I don't know. It's it's just a bad situation.
1: I mean, their transfer strategy has been horrible. Oh, it's a joke. like going above any player. I mean, they were stuck on De Young for a long time. That's looking unlikely. They've floated around. Um, there's somebody before Rabio. Can't remember. Rabio is the most recent one where they went to have talks with oh, not because his mother. Arnautovic, that's the player, the the players, the fans like revolted against that one. It's it's bad. And who knows who they're gonna sign. They're r- rumored with Cunha, they're rumored with Vardy, they're rumored with not telemans. I mean, I don't know what they're doing, but there's only like a week and a half left of the transfer window, two yeah. weeks. And it's, yeah, I, I, know. I don't know. You look at all of the, you look at Chelsea who've done a lot of business in and out. Arsenal, a ton of great business. Spurs, ton of great business. City, their normal dominance. And Liverpool who refreshes and reloads. I mean, they're off of it. Like look yeah. at Wolves spending 45 million on a yeah. Portuguese midfielder. I mean, what are
0: like, their leadership is so incompetent. Like you, I feel like the North London clubs for a long time, both Tottenham and Arsenal, have had a lot of complaints that are warranted about their way they're ran and shit. United completely takes the cake for all of that with just the sheer ineptitude. It's it's kind of a joke. Like you and I, we get enjoyment out of seeing United like this, or me especially. And i I'm getting to the point where it's like. I mean, I still enjoy it, but like, I sometimes it's a get little mad. Sad. Yeah, angry. Like, I'm almost getting angry how inept no, it is. It's, honestly. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway,
1: um, let's get into the next five. Ten Hag. I mean, this is—it's a tough, rough beginning for him after such a marvelous preseason down in you know Southeast Asia. But that was a joke. Um, I mean, if you're gonna really do Ten Hag uh, right, you got to give him at least like two to three years to even sort this out. It's a mess. All right. It's it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? I mean, you look at their next five, Kyle. I'm going to just read them off to you. Versus Liverpool. At Southampton. At Leicester. Versus Arsenal. At Palace. Their easiest games are all on the road. And if Mm -hmm. they're wearing their green jerseys, I don't, you know, I don't know. So... (laughs) I see four points out of those five games. So that means in their first god seven they would damn. have four points.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: One win, one draw, three losses.
0: Four points. Where where do you think they're going to win? I think they win one of the Southampton or Leicester games. Yeah. Wow. That's I might not go that far. I I think the next Liverpool game oh my god like they could pull an Arsenal and go three games without winning or without and they don't have point. a goal
1: from open I mean they have an own goal on there that, that they scored right. against
0: uh, Brighton but they don't have somebody that scored a goal yet right oh man yeah it's brutal it's brutal um I mean look yeah that's not looking great but I think they can get two wins out of that but None of those games are easy. I mean, at Southampton, we've seen United smoke Southampton before, but Southampton can pull out a randomly good performance against a good team or get smacked 9 0. Uh, (laughs) Yep, either (laughs) way. Leicester is not looking great either, but, um, you know, maybe they have some stuff sorted out. I think that'll be in like early September. So maybe they have more players. I don't know. But yeah, it's not looking good. And this is why going into the season, I was really curious how patient if at all, United's fans, the media, um, how they would be towards Ten Hag. Because I think, you know, yes, they smoked Liverpool in preseason, but I think most people of the level head were saying, this is going to take a long time to to right the wrong. So it they, he definitely needs more than 10 games. I know that's how many games uh, what's-his-name had, but... Um, they got to get, what What good would it do sacking him and hiring another interim manager or something be stupid a, like that? It'd Be like relegated to Watford level. Th- this is what happens when you have an interim manager in place for like multiple interim managers in place for like three seasons. It's stupid. There's no long-term planning. Anyway, I'm done.
1: Last point I have, you know, they started against Brighton. They lost. Their next two home games are versus Liverpool and Arsenal. How many boos are we going
0: to hear? Oof. whistles yeah yeah it's it's not going to be not going to be a happy place to go
1: well transitioning to one of united's main rivals liverpool football club they haven't had a swimmingly start a nice start either not nearly the chaos that united because at least they played some good stuff but another draw for liverpool 1-1 at home to palace and quite the dichotomy of styles here total possession domination shots like i think it was 73 percent possession for liverpool despite getting a red card in this game and i'll talk about darwin in a second um 26 25 shots to like five all of the stats yet palace sat back they had a game plan and like two or three counterattacks they scored on one of them and i have to say that palace counterattack was just when you ever you think Uh of being underdogs and we've been underdogs in some of the recent like adult team soccer games that we've been on those counterattacks are so sweet
0: and zaha timing that run was just perfection uh the timing of the run was great the finish was great i mean zaha he's like 30 years old now maybe 29 i think he's like our age but still has great pace and that play from uh Eze to bring it Eze. down on his chest and then just that simple touch when it hits the ground uh, to split two defenders before threading that through ball is the technique was was insane but yeah Liverpool really off to a uh I'm not sure if I'd say rocky start but unconvincing start I mean I think they I mean this Palace game was at home for one but I think Fulham uh, might surprise one or two people. So I wouldn't say these are cakewalk games, but definitely games you expect Liverpool to win. Um, but I think the XG tells a story, honestly. Um, I don't think 1-1 was not was unwarranted. Yeah, Liverpool dominated possession, but the XG was Liverpool 1.7, Crystal Palace 1.5. I think that says a lot.
1: Yeah, and the goal that Liverpool did score, that Luis Diaz curler was beautiful. That
0: wasn't a high XG shot. No, no. (laughs) And I mean, he like beat like four people from like the corner flag, almost to the center of the goal to even get there. So, yeah, he was my player of the game. All I mean, his effort and just even tracking back
1: and winning the ball when they had 10 men. I mean, he was running all over. I was super impressed with Luis Diaz. And you could say all they want, how they're missing Mane, all this stuff. But he's a starter in this team now. Uh, Oh, yeah. And even if Mane was there, they'd have to play that front three that he's incredible. So. I'm really excited to see him going forward. Moment of the match, maybe. Darwin Nunez, uh, Anderson was giving him shit, um, pushing him around a little bit a minute before and gave him a shove. And Darwin just turned around and like lightly, I would say, nestled his head into him. Like I wanted like an aggressive light head. Butt, yeah, it, it, almost,
0: it almost seemed like an accident, like not it, stepping to him, but like involving the headbutt in it. Yeah. Like, I feel like he might look back and be like, I didn't really mean to headbutt him. <laughs> I mean, Anderson went down so
1: fast. It looked like he'd just seen the basilisk from Harry Potter. He yeah, went down like he, a like, stone. He went down like, <laughs> like a stone. <laughs> yeah, like petrified.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah that's made a meal out of that. But, I mean, the technical rule is if you use your head in any sense, it's a red card. Yeah. I mean, it's a boneheaded play from Nunez, but Anderson made a meal out of it. But it's stupid from Nunez. I mean, he's going to miss three games now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Look, he'll, he just lost his head. He'll learn a lot from this. I mean, Nunez uh, kind of seems from what I've seen of him, like a really intense character. So uh, he's 22 years old. I think he'll learn from this and he'll move forward. Um, I think part of this was kind of an accident, like maybe he didn't mean to intentionally like bring it to headbutt but territory. Um, but yeah, he was baited and he took the bait, you know, and, yeah, it puts Liverpool in kind of a tricky position without him, though. Um, so now, what? I, I don't think Jota's back yet, so I think, I think Firmino back. will will have to be... He wasn't structured. on the bench
1: this last game. Was he injured? I don't know if he had a knock yeah. or something, but yeah, I mean, Firmino will get, be up there. Um, if not, then they'll have probably Luis Diaz and maybe Carvalho. I don't know, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, Harvey Elliott can play in the front three. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, they're going to be, I mean, they're playing United
0: next. I mean, (laughs) come on. Yeah. (laughs) So that is an intriguing matchup, but like you'd imagine you can predict where that would go. Right. I think, I mean,
1: Hindsight 2020, but I hated this when I said I'm not sure why they started Nat Phillips over Joe Gomez. And I know Joe Gomez isn't first choice anymore by any stretch, but just dealing with that Crystal Palace counterattack. You just saw Nat Phillips get exposed. And I don't think he's great on the ball either. No, so I don't think I'm not sure we'll see him again. <laughs> he's not a Liverpool status player. So what is
0: Konate injured or something?
1: Yeah, he got a knock. Oh, yeah. a bummer And my Matip, too. That's probably uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Um not so worried about liverpool yet but i mean it is concerning obviously to be four points behind city in any stretch of the but we're two games in they still play twice we'll calm down but of course they need to get wins soon they can't get too far because city's not going to drop a lot of points
0: this season no no. that's the annoying thing about man city but uh yeah it's a really surprising start from liverpool and now without a striker too it's like Mm. Yeah. But look, we always see uh, sometimes with the big teams that have such a specific high intensity like style of play, they often start slow and usually it's Man City. So, you know, seeing as how City has started slowly traditionally, I think should inform how we're feeling about Liverpool right now. Let's not freak out. So a team that just
1: lost their striker to a team that has found theirs, Gabriel Jesus in Arsenal. I mean, what a performance totally dismantling it, dismantling and discombobulating Leicester four to two and Gabby Jesus, two goals, two assists and that chip for that goal. Oh my God. MVP of the weekend. Easy. Oh yeah. Not even, we don't even have to have a segment for our player no. of the week. Cause this is, no. this is easy. That
0: first, a little chip goal where, uh, There's no run, like the ball is stopped dead. He's in the 18 yard box, a little bit to the left of the six yard box. And, you know, the ball is still, and he, you know, pulls his leg back with no back lift just to sort of like chip it and bend it into the far corner is just, is beautiful. I think it might've taken a little deflection off of the less Lester defender, but like, come on, let's, let's give Gabby Jesus credit that he deserves. Um, Two goals, two assists. I mean, Backing up his preseason form. Now you got to, I mean, again, we don't want to have a week two overreaction, but I think a lot of people's prediction that he'll be kind of up there in the golden boot race. I don't think it's that crazy. Um, I mean, I, again, we don't know how over the course of season, how much of a goal scorer he is. That's my doubt about him. But the quality playing for a team like Arsenal, who at this point is really clear, has, has a lot of clarity with how they play going in the right direction i think that just reeks of potential goals you know oh a hundred percent and
1: you know he has the confidence right now he has the players looking at him he's the man he's the striker where at city he was often put out wide and it was more of a fluid system where he's the true number nine right now at arsenal and he's acting like it so far We'll see yeah. what he does against better defenses because I thought Leicester were terrible today to be, or in this game, to be honest with you. And that disappoints me as yeah, a yeah, semi leicester yeah. fan, but they were, yeah, they were on it. And I'm really excited to watch Arsenal in the coming weeks. Cause I mean, they're the only perfect team left with city. Yeah. And so as yeah, they start I mean, to play some upper tier composition, I'm really curious how they match up.
0: Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll never say I'm excited to watch Arsenal as a Spurs fan, but that's just me with my Spurs hat on. Like, objectively, if I try as hard as possible to be a neutral, Arsenal is a good team to watch right now you want to watch Arsenal they've got a, ni- a lot of nice possession based players you know um, and they have a little bit more of an X factor a lot of their young exciting players are only going to get better I mean I think Martinelli already looks so much better a nice Smith- goal. yeah really nice goal Smith Rose kind of stagnated but I think that's because Martinelli's been so good. And Saka is Saka, so he'll continue doing the thing, you know. So mm-hmm. we've got good, we've got a good squad, man. Yeah, if they could just replace
1: Jaka, it just bugs me. So if they could yeah. just replace him, that'd be great. Uh, Saliba with an unfortunate own goal, but I still think yeah. he's quality, and that's going to be great for them. Oh,
0: real quick on the Saliba own goal: how different is the atmosphere around Arsenal, both the fans and the team, that after Saliba scores that own goal? the crowd almost like cheers for him. Like just imagine that happening like two years ago ago. or even, Oh my God, it would have been full blown meltdown. But I think that says a lot about not just the players were coming to like support him and GM back up, but the fans mostly being positive Arsenal fans, (laughs) you know, you see them maturing a little bit. They're, they're watching less, uh, a
1: little bit less of Arsenal fan TV
0: i'm for their own sake i hope they're watching less of AFTV, but yeah i don't know man
1: maybe you got to watch the united stand right now that's the united oh, version yeah. of that yeah i don't
0: need that negativity in my life <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's move on to rapid fire we'll be quick we took a lot of time with these uh there's a lot of spicy stories in those first two games so we'll cover this briefly city for bournemouth nil i mean there's not much to this i mean it was just total dispatching mantling it looked like a Look like a championship side versus a Premier League champion, honestly. And more, Bournemouth have little hope, honestly. Little signings, tiny little stadium, right down at the south coast, isn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, eleven thousand.
0: I mean, they're the least "quote unquote" Premier League club in the Premier League. But again, this is this is a hard. It's a hard there. game
1: at City. It's a hard opening. team to
0: judge off of, and when De Bruyne scores a goal like he did, which I know there. Was, Maybe debatably better goals after the, this weekend. De Bruyne's goal is my favorite of the weekend. Easy. It, I, I just the, the love thing is that, like, like that without manipulating the ball at all. You know he does like the whole fakie with just his body, and it creates a space enough for him to like you know open up his hips to the left and hit it with the outside of his right boot. Just mm. perfect. The technique and the innovation of this guy, and, and like athleticism, even even though he looks like. His face does not look like an athlete, but like, dude is actually pretty built and has those driving runs. I mean, still my favorite player in the Prem. I know. the Face looking like a
1: software engineer, but other than that, I mean, (laughs) just built to score goals. Yeah. It's probably my favorite too, even though you have the Koulibaly and then obviously the Luis Diaz curler. Um, Yeah. It's probably something that. You know, you get those more rarely out of Koulibaly for sure. And then Luis Diaz, it's harder to score curlers from that far out because they get blocked or whatever. But I could just see De Bruyne doing that time and time again against inferior competition for sure. Uh, That's about it. I mean, nothing else to say. 0.1 XG for Bournemouth. I mean, they have three points so far. Good for them. Uh, Villa 2-1 over Everton. I'd say, you know... I, I picked Villa, of course, to be high up to the table in our initial predictions, which we'll revise after the transfer window, but they've been super disappointing to me, even though they won this game. I thought some of their play and their link-up was super poor. I mean, Coutinho's disappointment, but Emi Buendia, who was a disappointment last season, came on and gave them the game-winning goal, as it turned out to be. And Everton did get an own goal uh, from Digne, which is kind of ironic since he left them. It was actually forced out by Benitez. Um... They need a striker. They need. I mean, they need a lot. They need a lot, and they're getting some players. I mean, Onana has just got on. They signed a couple. Looks like more. a good
0: player, by the way. Yeah, I like mean, he he was by far their best player when he came on. Onana, I'd never seen him before, but we know Lil is one of the really heavily. Factories. Yeah. yeah, they're heavily. Uh, they've always got scouts at their games, kind of like Wren, you know, in mm-hmm. the French league. They're always being watched. Yeah, totally, and so. Yeah, I mean better days ahead maybe for Everton but it's going to be a tough season. Villa's a weird one though. I mean, uh might be a little uh fore- foreshadowing for our uh looking back at our week one over reactions, but one of them Stephen Gerrard will be sacked this season and Gerrard. Look, I love Gerrard as a player, but um if Villa, I mean, this was another kind of unconvincing performance and I know they won, so it's hard to criticize that, but if villa don't impress a little bit more i could sense the villa fans starting to get frustrated like before christmas especially with the money they spent the really down
1: point on this uh game was diego carlos getting an achilles injury out for six to seven months that sucks it sucks it's a big money signing that you had coming center back and he's gonna
0: miss most of the season after After like removing tyrone mings as captain because he probably wasn't going to start and now you kind of have to start them again and now it's awkward and uh yeah i don't know happens nottingham forest their first home
1: game in the top flight in 23 years and coming down with a w over west spam uh west spam uh not a good start for them Mm -hmm. no wins uh you love to see it I mean, I think West Ham should have scored like six goals in this game, <laughs> to be fair. Two off the post, so many dangerous chances, missed penalty by Rice. But hey, let's give Nottingham credit. They had chances. They played well. That home crowd was really into the game, really excited about it. And, you know, what's the? I can't pronounce his name, but the new striker, one of their new strikers, Awani, just being there at the right time, kind of didn't know much about the Lingard chance, but, you know, bungled it home. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, played good defense. Steve Cooper, former Swansea legend manager, you know, appointed last year, got him promoted, and I think he can do some good stuff. Yeah, I uh, mean, the, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say that Newcastle, or it's not Newcastle, uh, Nottingham, they have an interesting situation, whereas Bournemouth didn't buy many players. I think Nottingham's bought, like, a whole new squad By with all these players they're rumored with or that are coming in right now. It's yeah. going to be
0: crazy what this team looks like even in a month yeah it is kind of odd but a lot of that like last season from what i understand they had a ton of lone players because they started off so poorly so right with this guy uh cooper coming Stephen cooper michael cooper what is it you know what's the Uh, man i'm blanking blanking. something cooper Cooper. steve cooper sounds right steve cooper i think yeah i think Uh, he like came in and kind of like quickly was like we need player here 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 so we got a bunch of lone players so i think that's why maybe they were so light, but what I will say about Forest is even though it seems like they kind of lack Premier League quality, I've noticed even though they haven't, they've only scored, what, one goal in these two games, I feel like they go after teams, and they attack, and they at least try, and they don't sit back and play defensively. Hey, we've said straight. that about Norwich before. Be careful. I, I know, I know, but like, you know, those teams kind of tend to go down, but um, I kind of, I kind of admire that, and I've noticed their wingbacks and the way they use their wingbacks is like very progressive. So, you know, I I give them credit for for trying. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how like 13 new signings can (laughs) fit together.
1: Southampton and Leeds played an entertaining 2-2 draw um, on the South Coast. And this was really a tale of two parts of the second half where Leeds came out i thought they were the better team in the first half to rodrigo scores two goals for them they look like they're flying and southampton makes a few adjustments comes out in the later part the latter parts of the second half and they looked great Honestly, the best i've seen southampton in a while even though they're you know one of our favorites to go down and get relegated and even they had the best chance to win it at the end, and that's crazy because they scored some great team goals and great finishes Southampton, but the XG really favors Leeds, especially because the first yeah. half and the goals that they scored. But yep. I honestly thought it was a fair result at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would probably say Leeds are the better teams shown through an XG, and I, I think it's more like proof that I think Leeds will surprise some people. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I will say about this is, I thought Southampton's second goal, their equalizing goal was beautiful and not just like, you know, former Spurs legend, Kyle Walker Peters (laughs) finished from a tight (laughs) angle. It was a nice finish specifically and take it from someone who I closely watched Southampton last week as Spurs just absolutely bent them over. Southampton had a few players. I'd never heard of before who were like teenagers that started that game or came on and I don't know, man. They seem to really recruit well with really young players because it was like forty-five last week. I forget his name. Like eighteen-year-old center mid looks super silky. But this game, it was another young player who's like a cam center mid. Might have been the same guy, but that through ball to Kyle Walker Peters for that goal. Oh yeah, was beautiful, man. Beautiful. So I think Southampton, even though at the beginning of the season we're all like their squad is terrible, this and that. I bet there are like two to three players who really impress us that we've never heard of before. I'm um, pretty sure. Oh, I mean,
1: their, their recruitment is really good. I mean, there was a, it with Joe Aribo that they bought. He's an older yeah. player. Aribo um, looks
0: really good though. that center yeah. mid looks really good. Their keeper was, looks really Lavia. good.
1: Lavia, right. He's like, I 18. think so. He looks really so. good. Um, James Ward-Prowse will hit all the free kicks, you know, but
0: Bazunu, their keeper. Like I now understand why this 20 year old keeper who's starting for Ireland, but is. Played for City and on loan at Portsmouth last year. Why he has so much hype? Because like his his like athleticism and saving ability looks awesome. So yeah, don't it looks... forget when uh, January when Livramento
1: comes out, watch out. It's
0: true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> not that true. Uh, we got we got a couple bangers and some watch outer out space games. Team. If if you've uh, if you listen to the pod for a long time, you'll know what that reference is. Wolves and Fulham, nil-nil. And, you know, we called him less of a sausage uh, last week when he got back to form and had a brace against Liverpool. But this week he was a McGriddle. <laughs> I mean, missing a penalty against Wolves. What are we doing? No, it's actually, you know, Mitrovic to play decent. But Fulham, you know, two draws for two, get through two games, you know, against Liverpool and then at Wolves. But I think there's a lot to be encouraged about as a Fulham fan.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I mean, as far as like new teams go, I mean, you can tell, you can almost tell that the manager is a good manager and he's been there before. That's kind of my main takeaway from Fulham. mm -hmm. Uh, Marco Silva should not be like looked down on, you know, it's a good manager.
1: Yeah. Just because he lasted two seconds at Watford is not an indicator of how good he is as a manager for sure. Uh, And then the other nil-nil game, Brighton against Newcastle. I mean, both these teams looked really good. Week one, Brighton over United and Newcastle over Nottingham Forest. But it's just kind of a dud. Brighton definitely had the way more chances than Newcastle. Newcastle just didn't look like they were going to do anything this game, which is odd, but they got a point And both these teams sitting at four points through two games.
0: Yeah, blasted in outer space. That's all I know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. I mean, that was all the action. Normally we have a segment, but norm- because this went so long, I feel like we can just cover transfers next week.
0: You say that, but our podcast goes like maybe an hour, about an hour. And I'm seeing other podcasts go, uh, some of which uh, are friends of ours. And I won't name names, but two hours long. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so that's I, crazy. That's if crazy. I get any hate mail for that, I apologize in advance. Like I got you beer. Don't worry. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy storylines
1: though. Honestly, oh, yeah. it's for two weeks next week. We've got the capper on, I believe it's another Monday night game for Liverpool, Liverpool against United on a Monday. So, uh, we won't be recording Sunday cause we're going to wait for that game. I promise you that. Uh, what else do we got this week? I think that's the only like marquee game next week.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, nothing Spurs even... had. I know Spurs go to Wolves, but that that's not like you know who cares.
1: Um, I mean, yeah, that's kind of interesting because Wolves are a decent team, but yeah, it's not like eh. it's not like I'm getting up at 4 a.m. for this type of game, you know?
0: No, no, I'm pulling it up right now. I mean,
1: well, it's actually that's actually the 4:30 game. I was just making
0: that up. <laughs> i mean yeah i'm not gonna get after for that uh for the americans listening uh leeds host chelsea that'll be interesting. Oh, 6 a.m that's a great All, match the the, um, the uh usa bowl you know how
1: about the saudis versus the uh united arab emirates <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. Actually, you know, actually, that could be an interesting matchup. But St. James Park, yeah. City being city, though, I just like—I don't know. It's almost boring. You know what I mean? I was expecting yeah. them to win. All I mean, time. I did. I do love
1: to watch De Bruyne score, though. I, I do. I do admit that. But that
0: being said, but going up to St. James Park in Newcastle is not easy. I mean through thick and thin through the worst of times that stadium was sold out for 50,000 mm-hmm. people every time. And now suddenly it's looking up. I think they're the best of the rest. So I think that will just be a cauldron for Newcastle.
1: And it's the Sunday eight thirty game. It's a very highly viewed. So a lot of our listeners will be able to watch that. And also not a team that, because it was a Friday game and an early game, not many people have watched Arsenal yet, and they're the 9:30 game Pacific against away at Bournemouth. And Bournemouth, you know, they have a win but haven't looked great. So I think a lot of people are going to be able to see what Arsenal's about this week as well. So yeah, I'm sure it'll be good first impression for them. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in. As always, follow us on Spotify, Instagram, Apple Podcasts. We'll be more active on the Instagram soon. We have a lot of life events coming up, so we apologize. Uh, Stay tuned. We will cover all the latest matches. Uh, The marquee game is a United game, so we will talk about United first next week, and hopefully it's all about Liverpool, because I'm really sick of talking about United just through the end of last year and through this year, it's really getting boring. So let's have a Liverpool storyline, but as anyways, follow us. We will be out. We will be releasing a podcast next week for Kyle. I'm Justin. Take care.